Lord, as I think about the unchanging nature of mankind and I think about you being an unchanging God, Lord, what an amazing truth that we can trust in you. You, the the miracle worker that we read about in the Old Testament and even on into the New Testament, we see doing miracles today through the lives of your church. I think of Greg and Lori. Lord, your hand being upon them, doing mighty work of healing and forgiveness. God, we celebrate that with you, with them. We praise you for that, Lord. I pray that things like that would you would use in our lives to communicate to, to us our, your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. That you are patient with us. You are slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, not treating us as our sins deserve or repaying us according to our iniquities. Yet your everlasting love is all over us, and we praise you for that, God. Lord, I don't know why we feel the way we do sometimes. God, I pray whatever we are experiencing now in this moment, Lord, that you would center our hearts on you. Lord, that with great humility, you would continue to lead us, you would, that we would follow you through this service as we worship you, the King of kings, the everlasting Lord of lords. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, kids, have fun, all right? You know, um, I can't like as I said it I can't make sense of why I often feel the way I do when I come into worship and as we read this psalm psalm 103 it takes me back to a day some 30 years ago and uh, it reminds me of why we worship it reminds me of our need for our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, to bring adjustment and correction to our hearts and the way we feel and the way we respond to him and worship, what we think about him, what we think about ourselves. And Psalm 103 starts out with, bless the Lord, all my soul. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that, it was, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Verse two says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. He is the one who forgives all our iniquities and he heals all our diseases and he redeems our lives from the pit. He's the one that satisfies us with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord in verse six says that he works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And as I read that, I think about the unchanging nature of God and, 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 and here's one of the things I most appreciate about his unchanging nature. He is not moody. Now think about it. What are the things that directed your mood when you came in here today? Was it an anticipation to be worshiping together with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Was it? What directed your mood today? Was it? as you came into worship, was it a broken family situation and you were desperately looking for God to bring you some answer for why you feel the way you do? 
Is it a, is it a crazy, frightening sickness that has come upon you or your family like Greg experienced a number of months ago that directs your mood today and the way you feel and the way you think about God, what determines how you're going to worship today? What is it you're bringing in here today? Because when, when I look at the beginning of this song, psalm, I go back to me in my 20s. All that is within me, all that is within me, King David is blessing the holy name. He is praising the holy name of God. All that is within him. And when I say that, I'm like... How do we say that? All that is within me, bless his holy name. I know this, that he has forgiven me all my iniquities. I knew it back when I was an 18 to 25 year old young man, I knew it. I knew that my sins were forgiven. But all that it was, is within me was driven by thoughts of who I am as I stand before God and this is all I had was fear. I understood I was saved but my relationship with the Lord was driven in large part by fear because I knew I was full of iniquities. At the same time, I knew I couldn't make sense of his healing way, how he heals diseases. I knew that he had redeemed me from the life of the pit. He had lifted me out of the mud and mire, yet here's what I knew. It seemed like even still, even though I had relationship with Jesus Christ, it was driven in large part because I still felt like I was covered with mud and mire. Every moment I made a wrong decision, I hurt someone, some impure thought came into my mind, an impure word came out of my mouth. I am reminded God is right there and he knows that what I have done is wrong and he's ready to bring his is justice and make things right because how dare you son of mine profane my holy name by what you're doing driven by fear fear I wonder if you can relate to that maybe you're someone that is completely like I understand the loving kindness of God and you've never come face to face with who you are in front of a holy God Understanding that justice must come because you are not living a life of righteousness. When we come before the Lord to worship Him, we must come with a right understanding of who He is and all that He is and who we are and all that we are not. And I was twisted up over my perspective of who God is I had a really strong understanding of who I am before God. So, like 30 years ago, I'm sitting in church. I had never been presented with this passage before, Psalm 103. I understood my iniquities that the passage speaks of. I understood, verse 6, the oppressive nature of living in this world we live in. So let's talk about that oppression that verse six in Psalm 103 talks about. This isn't just simply you're being oppressed because you worship God and you serve him. Yes, there is oppression that comes. This is an oppression that King David is speaking about that comes from simply living in a fallen world. So there are things that this world brings on you that you do not invite. It's simply because you live in a fallen world. You wreck your car, you hit a deer, you, you stub your toe, you crash your bike, you whatever, whatever it is, is the result of living in a fallen world. Sickness, cancer, or broken relationship that you have no responsibility in. 
fallen world. Yet there are reasons why oppression comes on us because we invite it by our own sinful choices. So when King David is talking about oppression in verse 6, he's talking about this, it's simply because we live in a fallen world and we have fallen flesh. So 30 years ago, I'm sitting in my church and I'm listening to a sermon being delivered by a guy who ended up being a really good friend of mine. He was a student intern, okay? So some 23-year-old coming right out of college that thinks he knows everything about what this word has to say and he's ready to declare it to the church. His name was Matt Sargent and Matt, if you ever listen to this sermon, the moment that you declared this word changed my perspective on God. So this is what he says. He comes up and he stands behind the pulpit. Now, remember, this is a student intern. These are the kind of things that are said by the senior pastor, what he's about to do. 23 years old, he comes up. I'm here to declare to you right now that God is not fair. And I'm sitting like two-thirds of the way back saying, Matt, shut up. This is not for you. Don't do this. How, like, how can you say in front of a church that God is not fair? Because I know what I've done. They know what they've done. They know what they deserve. And every moment they make a wrong choice and they feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they're scared to death thinking, what kind of judgment is God going to bring on me now? They understand that God is fair in treating us as our sins deserve. This is what's in my head. I'd never been presented with the truth of Psalm 103. And so he makes this declaration God is not fair. I want you to know God is not fair. And I'm wrestling over this, and I'm, I know the oppressive nature of living in this fallen world, and I know what my sin deserves. And this is what he says. The Lord is... Com- I don't know why it made a difference in this moment. Clearly, it was the work of the Holy Spirit of God bringing a new revelation through his word to me that I needed to hear. The Lord is compassionate and he is gracious, he said, he read. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. God is unfair. The Lord is compassionate and he is gracious. He is slow to anger and he is abounding in loving kindness. He will not treat us as our sins deserve, nor will he repay us according to our iniquities. And there it was. He doesn't accuse. He doesn't harbor his anger forever. And he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And he said, I'm here to declare to you today that God is not fair. Because the judgment you think you deserve right now, he has removed from you through the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. You stand free and clear, pure before him because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. My relationship with Christ went from, my relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ went from, I am scared to death to think about what I'm going to do next. Sinful thought comes into my mind, understanding he's going to bring judgment on me and and treat me as my sins deserve. This psalm completely undressed the unrighteousness and wrongness of my thinking 
Because God, when you come into relationship with you, he does not treat you as a sin your sins deserve. He does not repay you according to your iniquities and all of a sudden my relationship with Christ changed. He goes on to say, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from you. Praise God. And as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. This was a redefining moment for me and my worship perspective. No longer was it broken and driven by fear. It was now adjusted and made more pure as I went to worship the Lord based on who he is, not who I thought he was and how he would treat me. I learned that worshiping God is not about how I feel. It's not about how I feel. It's not about what I have done. Because even in those moments, I'm concerned about me, how I feel, or what I've done. That's not what worship is about. It's not about my experience. It's entirely about who God is and what he has done and continues to do. That's what worship is about. Stop looking at yourself, stop pitying yourself, stop being afraid because of what you've done, and turn your thoughts and your focus on you and what your experience in worship is like, and you turn and you turn your focus completely on the one who did at the cross and made a way for you to be in everlasting and eternal relationship with him. His judgment poured out on the person of Jesus Christ so you don't have to experience it your personal self. It's about who God is. It's about what he has done and what he continues to do. You think about it. What are we memorizing? Titus chapter two. Titus chapter two, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, bringing salvation for everyone. So the cross of Jesus Christ, he brings us his salvation brings us into everlasting and right relationship with him. And he goes on to say that the grace of God, the cross of Jesus Christ is now training us, training us in our relationship with him to see him more for who he is and understanding what he wants from us. My thoughts of God were broken. I was stuck on verse six. I was stuck on what it means to live in an oppressive world. God working righteousness and justice. Understanding my main right, my main oppression was my sin. I was more concerned with how God looked at me than what was happening around me. More concerned with that. I thought I deserved his judgment and his justice, and I was thinking wrongly about God. Hey, if you've been in our, in our doctrine classes uh, that we've been leading, uh, last week I brought this to mind. A.W. Tozer says this, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because, listen, my 30-year-ago worship experience was driven by fear. I was driven by fear. All I could think about was the justice of God. I was falling way short of understanding who God is. I needed to understand the loving and compassionate and merciful and gracious nature of God. Missed it. 
Praise God for the last 30 years of him taking the gospel message of Jesus Christ and transforming my thinking and understanding who he is more completely, thinking wrongly. This psalm helps us understand why we worship, why we worship. So let's read it together. We're actually going to start at verse 6. So if you want to turn to Psalm 103, we're going to look at verse 6. I mean, verses 6 to 19. So we're going to start at 6. All right? I'm reading this from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Verse 6 says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, or he will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not treat us, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. You read Psalm 103 and you get hung up on the word oppressive. And let's suppose this. Let's suppose you called a meeting with God, okay? Lord, I want to meet with you. And he says, okay, great. I'm I'm willing to come and meet with you, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to choose the table with which we will sit at. Choose the table. Where are you going to choose to have your meeting with God to talk about the oppressive nature of life here on earth? Okay, because that's what you're stuck on. The oppressive nature. I read the rest of that. Okay, great. But the word oppressive just keeps beaming like a beacon because your mind goes back over the past 30 years, 40 years, 50 years of your life. And what your mind sees is the hardness of life and the oppressive nature of life that comes from living in this world. So it's time, it's time for me with God to deal with those things. And so he says, all right, where do you want to meet? Where would you choose to meet? the local coffee shop? Would you want to do this in public? Is it something you would want to do in private? Why would you want to do it in private? What are you going to say to God? What do you expect he's going to say to you? Here's what I would do. I was just at Ireland, and I feel like I could go to the center of Ireland and find some pub with some dark back corner right next to the fire where Jesus and I could both stare into the fire. We wouldn't have to look at each other, and we could have a conversation about what the nature, the oppressive world is that we live in and how that has impacted me. 
That's where I go because no one would know me. Here's what I would expect. I'm sitting with Jesus, and I'm going to say some really hard things to him. And he's going to in turn say some really hard things to me, things that I know I need to hear. So that's where I would go. Where would you go? He agrees to meet with you. And then he says this, look, here's what we're going to do. I know you want to talk about oppression. I know you want to talk about the hardship of life. But here's what I want to do. God says, I want to use Psalm 103 as kind of a, like a baseline for discussion, okay? And so you agree to it. You disappear to somewhere Ireland, dark corner, sit next to the fire, tables between you and Jesus. Greetings are over. And he says, okay, let's take a look at Psalm 103. You, you lay out all of your, the things you're struggling with and the reasons for and on and on the list goes, the oppressive nature of life, okay? And here's what he does. He takes two highlighters and he lays them on the table. One is yellow and one is green. And he says, let's start like this. I want you to walk through Psalm 103, verses 6 through 19. And I want you to highlight everything that has to do with you. All right, you agree to it. So that's what we do. We work through Psalm 103, verses 6 to 19, with Jesus sitting right next to us. We have our yellow highlighter in our hand because that's the one that God has ordained for us. So you start through verse 6. You have to highlight oppressed. This is me, I'm oppressed. As you're staring into the fire, the Lord gives you a moment to think about what oppressive, what being oppressed means. He starts leaning into and you and you start understanding a lot of the oppression in my life is brought on by me. Jesus reminds you, hey, in this world, you're going to have trouble. He says it, but take heart, I've overcome the world. The oppression that's happening around you that is not your responsibility, understand it's going to happen and I've overcome it. But listen, you invite things into your life that cause hardship because of your fallen flesh. And in the back of your mind, you're moving on, but in the back of your mind, you're like, yep, I know, I know, okay, and you dealt with that at the cross. You've taken care of all of the hardship I will face on this earth, but you've highlighted oppressed because that has to do with you. God is not oppressed. God is God. You move on down to verse 10, and you see that he does not treat us as our, according to our sins. You have to highlight our sins, my sins, because in Psalm 103, verses 6 to 19, I am oppressed, hardship, I bring on my life because of my sins. And then in verse 10, it declares it, I have to highlight our sins, my sins, because I am responsible. My sins make up me. They're a declaration of who I am apart from Christ. On into verse 10, you have to highlight my, our iniquities, because you understand I am a sinner. I am iniquitous in my living. You read on down, you come to verse 12, the second half of verse 12, our transgressions, my transgressions. Okay, so I'm oppressed. I'm oppressed because of my sin. I am oppressed because of my iniquities. I am oppressed because of my transgressions. 
And then you come to verses 14, 15, 16. My frame, our frame, he remembers we are dust. So my frame is dust. How do those two go together? Like, if you have a frame that's made of dust, how well is that going to stand up? So you're all of a sudden starting to realize, I'm really not that much. I'm a sinner. I'm iniquitous. I'm a transgressor. I bring oppression because of that. My frame is nothing but dust. As for man, as for me, my days are like grass, so I'm being compared to grass now, so you have to highlight that. He flourishes like a flower of the field. Great, hey, we can bear some beauty in this short time we have because the wind passes over it and it is gone and the place remembers it no more. You have to highlight that because that describes me, that describes you. Oppressed, a sinner, iniquitous, I'm a transgressor. Understanding that my frame holds nothing because I am dust. I have just a short time here and then it passes away and I am remembered no more. I know this, I remember my grandfather well, but my kids know nothing about my grandfather. Never met him. Memory of him is gone. Praise God for the spiritual legacy that he passed along, but they don't know him. You look on down through verse 19 and you realize, okay, there's nothing else that speaks directly about who I am. And so Jesus says, so how are you feeling about yourself right now? You have these few things that this handful of verses declares about you. How do you feel about yourself right now? You know, I hear this word passed around. I just have to learn to love myself. I have to learn to love myself. What God wants us to see right here is apart from him, we are not lovely people. And in the short time we have here, there are times where we will bloom like a flower, but eventually the wind will come and blow it away. And you're like, oh my goodness, Todd, this is terrible. It is, isn't it? It's terrible that this is who we are. But apart from Jesus Christ, this is exactly who we are. And so you sit next to that fire and you're getting ready to go into Jesus and say, look, man, this is how things should be. And he says, how about we talk about you for a moment? And you realize, probably time to shut my mouth because this is who I am. And then Jesus says, okay, now, here, I want you to take this green highlighter and I want you to highlight everything about me. All right? Few things about you, now I want you to highlight about me, starting at verse six. The Lord works righteous and justice, righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. I do that for you. I work righteousness and justice. Guess where I did that? I did at the cross of Jesus Christ. I brought my righteousness to bear. I let the Father pour out his wrath on me. The justice, that just judgment that you deserved, I let him pour it out on me. He brought it on me. I worked righteousness and justice in that singular moment so that all of the yellow we can wipe away because I have now imparted to you my righteousness. I did that, he says. And you're still staring into the fire because you don't know where else to look. He made known his ways. He speaks. He made known his ways to Moses. You have to highlight he made known his ways. His acts to the people of Israel. He speaks. Verse eight says, the Lord is merciful. Highlight, merciful, which means I don't treat you as your sins deserve or I don't repay you according to your iniquities. That is mercy. I extend to you my mercy. And I am gracious. Hey, look, you don't deserve any favor. Look at the yellow. You don't deserve any favor, yet I give it to you freely. As grace, 
He is merciful. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. Another word, long-suffering. He is patient. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You highlight that, slow to anger, abounding steadfast love. You highlight verse nine. He will not always chide. He will not always accuse. He's not always going to point his finger at you, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Highlight green. He does not deal with us according to our iniquities. You highlight that. He does not deal with us according to. He goes on to say, nor does he repay us. Do I repay you according to your iniquities? He withholds. You highlight verse 11, so great is his steadfast love. You highlight verse 12, so far does he remove, he takes our transgressions from us. You highlight verse 13, as the father has compassion, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows, God is all-knowing, highlight. He remembers, God knows past, present, and future. You highlight, you bounce down to verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord, which means it is never changing, always the same, there for us, never moving, nothing can push his steadfast love around. Verse 17 goes on to say his righteousness, you highlight it because he is righteous, he is pure, he is without fault. And then the capper on it all, you highlight verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and he is, his kingdom rules over all. You highlight that because you know he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So he says, okay, now that we've done that little activity, let's compare what this passage has to say about me and let's compare what it has to say about you. Why would you even take one moment, he says, to even consider looking at yourself, being concerned with yourself, when this is what you have to offer? And then on the other hand, all of this in green is what I have to offer you. He's like, who do you worship? If you're so concerned with the highlighted yellow, you are worshiping yourself. What I want from you is to not be concerned with the yellow. Let me be concerned with the yellow, and I want you to set your eyes on what's highlighted green. Turn your thoughts and your focus and your affections and your full attention on me and let me deal with that. Worship me and not yourself. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? I think that, would, that, that experience with Jesus would have gone from a strong torment, like wanting to curl up in a ball and just tell Jesus to just let me deal with this. I'll take care of it. To being washed by the gracious, merciful, slow to anger, loving kindness, steadfast love of the Lord coming over me and taking care of me. What an amazing experience that would be. I'd like to draw your attention to three like statements of eternity. Infinite, infinite, 
infinity, three statements of it. Look at verse eight. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is, the Lord is, he always is. It's because God is eternal, therefore, so is his mercy and his grace toward those we read on who fear him. So in other words, to those who have come into everlasting relationship with him. The Lord is. Look at this one. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Verse 17 says, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. So here's the point. As high as the heavens are above the earth. All right, you think back then, all they can do is look into the sky and they can see stars. They have really no idea how far, that, far away they are. This is what NASA declares for us today. So if you were to travel to the edge of the known universe, so as far as man right now is able to see into the universe, this is what NASA says, and if you were to travel at 186,000 miles per hour, which is the speed of light, it would take you, it would take us, or excuse me, 227 trillion years to reach the edge of the, the known universe. And that's what God says about his everlasting and steadfast love toward you and me. It is infinite. It is beyond compare. It's beyond comprehension. And that's what he pours out on you, poor yellow highlighted person. He loves you with a love that is past understanding. His forgiveness, look at 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your transgressions from you. So you pick right now, you're standing right here as far as the east is from the west. And Jesus says, all right, now you come into relationship with me. At the cross, he determines, all right, choose your method of your means of transportation as far west as you can go. I don't know why he chose west, he just does. Choose your method, your mode of transportation. You jump on whatever that is, and you determine that God is the pilot, right? He's not the co-pilot. God is the pilot, and he says, here we go. And you just start traveling west with him. And the moment you come into relationship with him, accepting the cross of Jesus Christ, through the cross, he takes it and he punts it as far to the east as it can possibly go. So in other words, it's Forever and ever, your sin is going east while you are going west. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed the yellow that you've highlighted. It no longer claims anything over you because you are in relationship with him. As far as the east is from the west. Removes it. The father has compassion on his children, so does he have compassion on you? What an amazing expression of the eternal nature of God as he sets us right in right relationship with him. Verse 19 says this, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. This one who has done all this for us rules and reigns from now until forevermore. He's always been king. He's always been Lord for those who trust him and come into relationship with him. Why do we worship? Why would we worship him? Two truths I'd love for, I mean, as you, as you wrestle over Psalm 103, two truths, this simply, we have nothing to offer. We are not lovely. 
I would rather find my church, myself, my family loving Jesus over loving ourselves. There's nothing we have in us that's worth love, yet he reaches down and extends to us his everlasting and steadfast love. Why do we worship? Number one, because we have nothing to offer. Number two, because he has everything to offer. We have nothing to bring to the table. We want to put away the yellow highlighter and only focus on the green. We have nothing else to bring to the table. And God has brought and continues to bring everything to the table. That's why we worship. So as we continue in our worship, I want to end with this story. It's a pretty incredible story. There was a, there was a man, not born a man, he was born a baby, in England back in 1974. And in 1974, this, 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 uh, this boy was born into a very dysfunctional and destructive family. And at the age of seven, his father dies. So you can imagine right now, my father has just died. Imagine what that does to a seven-year-old boy. Some of you don't have to, you know. Seven-year-old boys, men who have lost your father, you know exactly what he was dealing with in that moment. Loses his father at the age of seven. At the age of 10, he learns that his father didn't just die, he committed suicide. Now think about the twisting that would do inside the heart of a 10-year-old boy. The age of seven, learning that your dad killed himself, and you didn't know that for three years. Mom remarries, and me remarries a very abusive man. So brings abuse into his life, oppression, oppression, oppression is what this young man experienced, this boy into adulthood experienced. The guy was so abusive, they had to put him in prison because of the way he treated his family. Pretty awful, right? And then, somewhere during some mission event, in his late teens, this guy gives his life to the Lord. And it turns out he's a very gifted songwriter. What would you write about if that was your life? This man turns out to be Matt Redman, and he wrote a song called 10,000 Reasons. And the entirety of the focus of that song comes from the inspiration of God through Psalm 103 into his heart. He did not think about the hardship and the oppressive nature of life beforehand. He thought about Psalm 103, God gave himself for me and extended to me his mercy and his grace and his everlasting and steadfast love. And he let that be the inspiration for his song. Church, let's not be concerned with oppression. Let's be concerned about the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us as we worship.